Kamusta? This is your host Alicia, aka your favorite Asian. It has been a whirlwind of a week being in Texas, but I'm glad that it is finally getting warmer so that people can find calmness after the storm. I posted on my Instagram about places to donate because many people have been without power, water, or food this past week. I know especially for the homelessness community, this has been a troubling week due to the freezing temperatures. So please, if you have the means to donate, the resources are on my Instagram page at your favorite Asian podcast. Now, I recently got a Shih Tzu puppy literally the day before the winter storm of Texas, and I named him Ube because if you listened to last week's episode, our 16-year-old Shih Tzu Oreo obviously needed a new brother and with me being so into true crime i was afraid we would not get ube because we got him off craigslist and if you know the craigslist killer obviously not the same area of searches but still i was afraid but luckily the breeder was great and we have the best little shih tzu and he's already spoiled with love and i've had shih tzus literally my whole life since the moment i was born every single dog i've had has been a shih tzu so i'm glad we got this new addition before we were snowed in for the whole week. So you are probably wondering what does Ube mean? Like why did I name him Ube? Well today I'm going to give a little history lesson on the sweet delectable dessert called Ube. Discoria alata, the plant's scientific name for ube, is indigenous to Asia, specifically grown in the Philippines. Since the plant's tubers are already a vivid color of violet, all you need to do is add a few ingredients to turn the ube into a creamy dessert. Feliz Prudente said, there is no written documentation as to when Filipinos started using ube as a dessert. She is a Filipino food historian who has been gathering histories and information about Filipino cuisines since the 1970s. According to Feliz, the first Tagalog and Spanish Dictionary published in 1613 mentioned ube as a type of sweet potato, but later on it was classified as a yam. Apart from being a staple ingredient in Filipinos' favorite desserts called halo halo, ube can also be found in other desserts such as cakes, lands, ice cream, cookies, spreads, crackers, and candies. According to Felice, the recipe for ube ice cream was published in 1922, where it combined mashed ube, milk, and sugar. Sometimes people confuse ube with taro, but they are completely different different foods. Taro, which is also popular in Filipino cuisine, is typically white on the inside and not purple, though it may turn purple once cooked. As for ube's benefits, the Philippine purple yam is generally a healthier alternative to regular yams because it has more antioxidants than regular ones. So it is said to help prevent DNA damage, cardiovascular diseases, and even cancer, according to study conducted at Kansas University. Ube yams also contain vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, and high levels of potassium. And since it contains a lot of fiber, ube helps foster a good environment for probiotic bacteria. Its vibrant purple color is also an indication that it contains a lot of anthocyanins, a chemical that helps reverse cognitive and motor function decline due to aging. So if you want to try ube, I know Trader Joe's last year had ube ice cream and ube mochi pancake mix that might be seasonal, so be on the lookout this upcoming summer. It's kind of like an earthy vanilla taste with a hint of nuttiness like pistachio. Also love Hollow hollow, which means mix mix in Tagalog, except for the beans part, which I know is crazy to say as a Filipino, but I do not like beans in anything except a bean and cheese taco. If you want to make hollow hollow, I will put the recipe on my Instagram since it contains ube ice cream. I highly recommend trying ube, and I'm glad my little pup ube is as sweet as the dessert. <laughs> To 
Today, I will be covering the senseless death of Matthew Choi. Matthew Choi is well known for Choi's kimchi, which he founded with his mother. The two started the business using his mother's kimchi recipe, growing from a Portland farmer's market booth to a supermarket staple throughout the Northwest. After graduating from the University of Oregon with a degree in business and sports marketing, Choi and his mother took classes in commercial food production at Oregon State's University's Food Innovation Center, then set up a commercial kitchen at their home. In the early days of 2011, then 23-year-old Choi handled all packaging, labeling, marketing, deliveries, and social media for the company. By 2012, Choi's kitchen had doubled in production from 150 to 300 jars a week, growth that quickly caught the eye of representatives from Whole Foods, New Seasons, and other local markets. According to the Choi's Kimchi website, you can now find their jars at more than 100 stores. Also, Portland restaurants that serve kimchi but do not make it themselves are typically using Choi's. Sarah Marshall of Marshall's Hot Sauce wrote that the kimchi maker was the perfect farmer's market neighbor and friend. Marshall said Choi was basically the best, most active, kind-hearted member of our community she can think of. Then Austin, an employee of Choi's, told Asian American News that Choi was an extremely kind and selfless person. He wanted to help others and he wanted to help other people in the food business and was very well known in the Portland food scene. On October 25th, 2020, Matthew Choi, his girlfriend Jenny Kwan, and his friends were celebrating Choi's birthday in his apartment. And after the party ended, Choi fell asleep on the couch and his girlfriend went to the bedroom. Then, 30-year-old Alan Ko allegedly broke into Choi and Kwan's apartment in the early morning hours before 2 a.m. Kwan saw a figure dart toward the bathroom and woke Choi, who went to investigate. Ko allegedly stabbed Choi repeatedly, then headed for the bedroom and lunged at Kwan with a knife. A mortally wounded Choi came in and grabbed Ko and pulled him away from Kwan before he could stab her. By then, Choi fell to the floor and Ko fled. Choi was treated by the medics at the scene and taken to the Legacy Emanuel Medical Center, where he died of multiple stab wounds to the chest. Responding police found a green backpack on the floor in a communal room near Choi's apartment. Inside, they found social security cards belonging to two people who also lived in the complex. The two people told police their apartment had been burglarized 10 days earlier on October 15, 2020. Police said Ko was seen wearing the same backpack on the apartment's security camera. Detectives described the suspect as a black man between 5 foot 8 inches and 5 foot 11 inches with a medium build who was wearing a blue mask and dark clothing. Another resident of the complex called police to say that a man who lived in the complex, Ko, matched the description of the suspect released by police. The attack took place in the apartment located in the 300 block of Southeast 12th Avenue, which is in Portland's Buckman neighborhood, and Ko was also a resident of the same apartment complex. Also, investigators linked Ko's DNA to the crime because while he was speaking with detectives, he spit on the ground and police collected it for DNA analysis. Police were still investigating who killed Cho when Ko was arrested in a separate incident about a week later. On the morning of October 31st, 2020, Ko stole a vehicle that was idling at a residence in Milwaukee and police stopped him a short time later. Ko told Milwaukee police he was originally from Maryland and moved to Oregon because of the marijuana movement. Ko said that his mother lives in North Carolina and that he struggled with depression and mental health issues. He said he stole the car to provoke police into a deadly encounter and thought that the police would simply shoot and kill him when he reached towards the metal object in his pocket. Police documented that they later found a piece of steel in Ko's pocket that was cut into the shape of a heart. Ko faces three counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder, four counts 
counts of attempted first-degree murder, two counts of first-degree burglary, two counts of identity theft, and one count of unlawful use of a weapon, and he pled not guilty. His trial was set for January 11th, 2021, and before then, the state requested bail be denied. Now, when I looked on the county sheriff's office inmate data, it said that he was released with no amount of bail, but yet there's no news from what happened on January 11th because it says unsentenced. So if I find more information about that, I will let y'all know. Choi's family said in a statement, though it will never fill the hole in our hearts and in this community, we do pray for justice and peace that transcends all understanding. We have been so moved by the love and support. Please know that words cannot express how thankful we are for the memories and stories that have been shared with us. We will never understand why this happened, but still believe there is good in this world, and you are all examples of that. This tragedy will not define us, but instead inspire us to live to the fullest and never take each day for granted. And with that, we honor Matthew Choi. Follow me on Instagram at your favorite Asian podcast and hit that follow button if you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any cases that you would like me to cover, please email me at your favorite Asian podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to show kindness and please advocate for equality. Pa'alam, and I'll talk to you again next Sunday. Mm-hmm.